if you have somebody who has a great cut shot, there's something that you can do. You can limit the space available for their cut shot. Because if they're hitting from an antenna, they can hit that ball middle, they can hit it sharp, they can even add some stank to it so that like it goes down kind of wide. Right? That has a lot of space for their favorite shot when they hit from the antenna. So how do we get them to not hit from the antenna? Hello guys, welcome. We are here for another edition of our beautiful Get Better Volleyball podcast. We're gonna get going live on Instagram as well and we'll give you guys a second to join in. I know you're all getting notified. All right guys, today we are talking about serve strategy. So we uh, wanted to make sure that we cover all the topics of course, but something that not enough players talk about is how to start winning points from the service line and to go deeper into whatever strategy you're using. I know that personally, for me, I would think we have to serve this person or the secondary uh, was we got to be aggressive. Just serve aggressive. That's how we'll win. And then like once the other team gets a great pass, all of a sudden, there's nothing to do, right? We don't have anything. So serving strategy is what we are talking about today. And we're talking about what to do in what situations against certain types of players and to win with certain ways. Now, most people play checkers when they're serving. In other words, they think one move in advance and they just kind of move that needle forward. But when you are talking about real serving strategy, you're talking about what you are trying to do that's going to lead to a dig and a kill five or six touches later. So that's what we want to do today. And uh, before we get started, Brandon, how are you liking camp so far? Oh, it's, I mean, I think every single time I come out here, I'm, I'm expecting it to go great. And it always overachieves that, you know, I, something about coming to Florida where it's sunny and it's warm, like that alone makes this environment great and then this week we are extremely blessed to have a pheno another phenomenal coaching staff you know i know i think i i think we say that every single time but um like not only do we have a great staff but they've kind of completely bought into the way that we coach things and the way that we kind of approach practices and how and how much energy we expect from them and, and these guys are, are just absolutely killing it so i i feel like a proud father you know <laughs> like uh even though some of some of a lot of these coaches are all the same age as us yeah. but um you know it, it's just really cool to see people like hop on board and not only hop on board but absolutely crush what they're doing and so it's just been really cool and and all the campers this week are phenomenal um and i know next week we'll be just the same if not better somehow you know I, I think i'm always surprised of how how good it is out here so yeah well and it. next and next week we got our our open <clears throat> component so we got a very special group of men's open players uh and we're gonna see some big ballers come to our camp next time and that's gonna be pretty exciting as well fun to work with the whole gamut of players because we always mm -hmm. get uh, you know a few players in our camp who have never played before and then we usually get three or four kind of open players, but this time we really focused and we brought in those open players. So it'll be fun to see that crop next week. And yeah, can't agree more. Uh, the coaching staff, uh, JM Plummer, Chad Mercado, 
Um, Allie has been absolutely crushing it. Allison yeah, Denny. Allie Denny. Yeah, yeah. she energy energizer bunny i i can't get enough of her i, I just I, sometimes i find myself just staring at the court watching her coach because the amount of energy she has i like it makes me want to hop out there and play it's really <laughs> yeah. cool yeah and, yeah and logan weber's crushing it too i mean logan weber is is growing as a player uh, he's growing as a person he's just like each month he seems to gain more confidence just knows all of a sudden that he's like he is a big dog um, mm-hmm. And that's nice for him to notice as a player, as a person. And then as a coach, he's just taking charge. So it's going to be fun to be able to send these guys around the country on some better beach clinics. Um, yeah. So if you guys are interested in ever hosting a better at beach clinic with a fantastic coaching staff, we've got that available for you. That's betterbeach.com forward slash clinics. If you ever want to host a clinic in your hometown, uh, you just need at least 12 players to sign up for three sessions on a Saturday. And then we will be there uh as well if you go to camps if you ever want to join in the saint pete beach camp as well as some other cities and we are still 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 uh looking for people to sign up for our athletic foundations program which starts next week just getting the year to a correct perfect athletic start with mobility strengthening so that when you start pushing big weight when you start moving fast your body is prepared for that both in terms of mobility and in terms of strengthening and balancing your body so if you're looking for that that's going to be seven day athletic foundations challenge it's betterbeach.com forward slash foundations and starts january 3rd we've been getting a couple of questions about that you know and a lot of the questions are like oh i'm looking for a workout you know, about this program. And, and I keep telling people like, this is what you need to make sure that you are healthy and ready to start working out. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're one of those people that is like, ah, you know, I'm just looking to get strong right away. Like you're, there's a really good chance that you might mess up your body and you're going to start with the muscle groups that to, to me aren't as important as what this foundations course is going to offer. Um, so if you're one of those people that's looking to get a little bit stronger and really take off for your preseason, like I know Mark and I are, um, this foundations course is definitely for you guys as well. Yeah. Hope to see you guys in there. All right. We are going to talk about serving strategy and we're going to go through it quick. Again, we are in the middle of camp, so we need to move through this and get to the Q and a portion of the show quick, but serving strategy. When we talk about serving strategy, Serving strategy is the very, the very first thing, like the most elementary 101 type thing you want to think about is which person, right? But there can be a number of reasons to serve somebody. One, are they a bad passer? Two, are they a bad hitter, right? You can have a great passer, but a bad hitter. And so you're not going to get an ace on them, but you're going to get a dig or a block, or maybe they make more hitting errors, right? You could also choose to serve somebody if their partner is a bad setter. Even if that person's a good hitter, maybe the setting is so inconsistent that you should serve the person who uh, is the better passer, the better hitter, because the setter is so bad, right? Um, And just remember that when you guys are looking to score points in beach volleyball, championship players yes of course we're talking about the highest level but championship avp and fivb players are getting five to six digs per set 
and a set 2118. So you're thinking 39 points. That might be one dig every seven or eight points. That's what people have to remember that you can't just get so upset every time you don't get a dig because a strategy is what works over time. It doesn't work every time, but you implement the strategy and that's what you have to commit to, even if at some point you lose a couple of points, right? So push yourself to find a strategy and know that it's not designed, nothing in beach volleyball is designed to work every time. It's designed to work more frequently over time. So that's 101. Who do I serve because of skills? Bad passer, that might be great, but if they have a like an unbelievable setter and the bad passer is still a good hitter, that might be the bad choice, right? Bad setter, so we're going to make sure that we um, serve tougher to the passer, even though he's a good passer and a bad setter. We're gonna serve him tough because we don't want the good passer to make an easy ball for this the uncomfortable setter so if you just give that person a lollipop all of a sudden now the setter doesn't have to be so nervous because the passer can basically place it into their hands so high deep or hard spin serves is usually that like if you can put some heat on that with a jump top spin or even a standing top spin then that'll be a spinny ball and uncomfortable setters don't like them both spin or you can send it high deep all right, but uh, definitely, definitely, definitely don't serve short when you're trying to pick on a bad setter because that just makes it too easy. Yeah. So that is kind of 101. My second portion, before we get into like tactics and ideas, is just really understanding that you need to make the passer move. You know, I, I think a lot of times when we, and we kind of covered this, I think it was last week uh, when we were talking about different types of serves and like float serves. Um, but a lot of people are just okay with popping that ball in and it, and it tends to go like right to their serve receive location. Um, I think one thing that you can definitely pick up on is trying to make sure that you're making this passer move. And then again, it becomes, it becomes kind of an experiment. You know, a lot of times you can watch somebody and warm up and see if they have trouble moving short, if they have trouble moving back, if they have trouble moving to their sideline or to the seam. Um, but I think having this idea of challenging the passer to actually take a couple steps before they make their pass is really big. You know, for us, especially if, if you're a beginner and an intermediate, sometimes that that accuracy for sideline or seam can be a little tricky. Um, but I think that they definitely have the ability to try to do this long or a deep serve or a short serve. Um, and that's just, it takes yeah. a lot of practice trying to figure out, okay, how hard do I need to hit this ball to get it to the high, to the, to the back line? How hard do I need to hit this ball to get it to drop over the net? You know, and at that point it, it takes off, it, it takes a little bit of pressure off you as a server because you don't really care too much how good their passes. The goal is, is that you're just trying to make that passer move, you know? And, and what I say is like a lot, of, a lot of the times, whenever these servers are trying to take in this information, they're only thinking about like the first five, five, 10 points, you know? And I, one thing that I don't think anybody can argue is that throughout an, throughout a match, you get more tired, right? So at the end of the match, like somebody might be moving really, really well for that deep serve or that short serve in the, at the beginning of the game, because they're fresh, they're energetic, the adrenaline's pumping, you know, but then at the end of the game, they're, they might start thinking a little bit more about their endurance, 
And if they can, if they think they can save themselves by not taking that extra step or something, then that's where you see like those common errors of a shanked pass. And especially sometimes it happens on the easy serves. It's just, all right, I'm going to serve this guy short or I'm going to serve this guy deep over and over again. And eventually he might think that he's gotten too good at passing those and he might he might forget about his technique a little bit he might forget about just finishing his pass and he's thinking a little bit ahead to the set um i think you see that in kind of every single sport whether it's football and a receiver taking their eye off the ball and looking up field a little too early um a basketball player not showing off their finish or something like that but um yeah if you can kind of really focus on just making that that passer move throughout the match and then along the way picking up like okay they don't like short serves, mm. but then that doesn't necessarily mean that you serve every single ball short. You can kind of keep that in the back of your mind. And when you need points, put them in that troubled situation. Yeah. So I like that. And and then when you know that somebody does get fatigued, you know, I, I always used to be of the mindset. I was like the fatigue, the conditioning part of volleyball is like, it's garbage. Like everybody's mm. in good enough shape because there's such long rests. Like even when you're in a, a, a local tournament, you you can take five minutes to walk to the service line so you can like get that gas going again. But what I kind of didn't count on was that we're pushing our bodies to an extreme level. So the Mm -hmm. idea that we don't get tired, you know, like we force ourselves into that mindset and into that body condition. But if you're playing a local tournament, people aren't working out six days a week. So you will get them tired. And if you are playing at the highest level, Yes, by the end of the match, somebody's going to be jumping half an inch lower because that fatigue, it does build up. They won't be jumping as high at the end of the match. Uh, Most likely, if they warmed up in the right way, they won't be Mm -hmm. jumping as high at the end of the match. And then for sure, if you're looking at match three or four, you know, late in the day, like uh, one of those Saturday AVP afternoon matches, and you get somebody moving on every play, then the the compound from their early matches all the way until now is going to bust them up. Because think of it this way, if you know that you're going to play somebody early in a tournament, you might play them later. Right. Why not start that fatigue cycle for them? And even mm-hmm. if it's day one and they seem to be tired, you're going to run into them again later. So just keep them moving. I, I really like that idea. Yeah. And I mean, I think uh, it doesn't matter. Like, well you were kind of saying before, if there's a dominant player, then obviously sometimes you might serve them if they have a bad setter or if they're, if, if they're not as good at passing or attacking, but we're starting to see at the highest level that like, even if the blocker is the better player and they're bigger and they're stronger, sometimes people are serving them the whole game. Like, and just on the pure fact that they're like, both of these teams are going to side out at a really high level. We're not going to win that many points when we're when we are serving. So let's try to serve this blocker because they have to run up to the net after they serve every single time. And by the end of the game, especially if you're serving them every ball, they they might get a little tired, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think uh, we're starting to see it in in a lot of aspects. You know, I I know Christian Sorum and and Andy Mole, they have been one of the best teams on the world in the world for the last what four years, five years. Um, and just now, like this past year, I think in the Olympics, even they were like, all right, we're not serving Christian anymore. Andy is a monster, but let's see if he can handle these serves for a whole game and see if he can still have the energy at the end of it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously 
those guys are phenomenal. I mean, gold medal Olympians, unbelievable I mean, to watch. It didn't play. work yet, <laughs> right? But but I mean, I will say that I I haven't seen Andy act as tired as he was at the end of some of his Olympic matches than I have mm. seen him in the past. You know, and so like when he's on the ground and he's laying there and his partner has to come pick him up, like as a team that is playing against those people, when you see that happening to a player. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I kind of like that. That's you know? a good little so, cue. Yeah. yeah. So, like, if you're seeing him get that fatigued, and it's like, all right, he's that tired at the end of this match. Which, I mean, they still won, but if if somebody's going to make some errors, they're going to do it when they're extremely exhausted. So, I think it's pretty big. Definitely. Okay. Um, let's move on. We're, we're gonna we're gonna kind of run through these, but we want to talk about hitters who were trying to get a certain dig on. So if you know somebody wants to hit a certain shot or somebody's known for that shot, like raise your hand back there at home if you know that player who just has a great cutty, right? Or a fantastic high line or somebody who just juices, like absolutely bounces the ball every time. How do we serve these different types of players? If you have somebody who has a great cut shot, Here's something that you can do. You can limit the space available for their cut shot. Because if they're hitting from an antenna, they can hit that ball middle. They can hit it sharp. They can even add some stank to it so that like it goes down kind of wide. Right? That has a lot of space for their favorite shot when they hit from the antenna. So how do we get them to not hit from the antenna? One of the ways is we serve that ball middle. Right? We make sure that we bring it in middle. You can go short, but mm, sometimes the short serve people really like to take a small approach for cut shots and they get very comfortable there. But either way, if you serve middle, now that person has to move in to pass. Okay, it might go to the other player, but you can still serve the inside shoulder. Once they serve middle, they're probably going to approach from the middle of the court. That means that their available space for their favorite shot is now half as big. So you've put a little bit more pressure on them to either make them choose another shot that they're not as good at, or they'll hit a sloppier, easier to dig shot. Right? So if you can take somebody who has a great cut shot, see if you can overtime. And again, we have to talk about overtime. This isn't going to work 100% of the time. But if you implement this strategy and you keep going, keep going, keep going, you're going to get those five or six digs per match that you need, right? So you serve somebody who loves to hit cut shots into the middle and you try to lock them there. One way to lock them into the middle is usually that short middle serve because it's hard to back up and then get back out to the antenna. If you serve them high deep middle, like the high, the deep middle, then they have more time because their pass is usually going to be higher and longer and they can run a very roundabout route uh, to that antenna and then hit that sharp ball. So you want to take on somebody and like say, you know what, I'm going to dig this guy's cut shot or I'm going to take it away. You can serve them middle and they won't have the space available for their cut shot. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And, you know, especially if you're if you're listening to this to this episode and you are going to go out tomorrow and you're going to try to play. You know, I think one of the best things that you can think about is like if you are able to make that serve go short middle and then that person's cut shot is available 
And they even, even if it's not a perfect set for them and a perfect idea where they should be going cut shot, but they score, don't abandon the idea. Mm-hmm. You know, that's almost better for you that they scored on that because now they're, they've got a, a heightened sense of confidence, which is fake because you know that you've, you're like, all right, I'm going to try to do this so that they won't, they won't make this shot. But then when they do it, even if they score, it's like, okay, they're still going to go for that shot. You know, and then later in the game, you can kind of use that information to help you out. So, uh, yeah, I like that a lot. My next one would be like sometimes if we're serving a, a team that where there's an obvious shorter player and there's not a huge skill discrepancy, right? Like they both pass similar. They both set similar. They both even attack similar. Sometimes what I will do is I will serve the shorter player short. And the main reason for that is because if you serve a tall person short, they can get away with their height and most of the time their athleticism to still get up and be a threat at the net. Um, but a shorter player, and when I say shorter player, I, I think that this rule can really account for anyone that is right around that six foot mark and lower. So if you're anywhere below that, or you're playing against people below that number, then this, this would be very good for you. Or if you're playing against somebody that just doesn't move very well, um, if you can serve them short, then a lot of people have a really hard time getting back off the net and making themselves a valuable option. What I mean by a valuable option is having multiple shots. You know, a lot of times when you serve somebody who's short, short, and they don't have that ability to get back before they make that approach to go hit, they've most likely eliminated one of the shots that they would normally have. Maybe it's a high line, maybe it's a cut shot, depending on where you where they made that pass. Um, but most of the time, if you serve that person short, they're going to have, they're going to have some of their options taken away, which on defense, you love that because now it's like, okay, they're not back behind the 10 foot line. They're probably not going to hit this ball hard. So now that blocker can either peel or that defender can sit in the middle. And now if they do go over that blocker, it's got to be so high that as long as this defender's stable, they should be able to make a good, really good read on it, make a really good pass, probably not even have to dive. Now you're in control of the game. I love that on the right side. I mean, I oh, feel yeah. like so many right sides, they put the small guy on the right side and they put the bigger guy on the left side. And serving that short corner right by the antenna for the right sider, making them come all the way up, jamming them against that antenna, making them go all the way back. That is, I love running a two block on that. And a very obvious two block because mm-hmm. that means that my blocker will show super early that the line is wide open. And this little guy who thinks he can hit really hard, we've taken away a couple inches of his vertical and we've rushed his approach and he sees a wide open net right in front of him. And often they're not really big enough. They're not strong enough. They can't get out of the sand and you get them either burying it into the net or taping or hitting you some kind of slow, easy ball. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really nice to run to run that two block one and let them feast like open net, knowing that the defender's job in that is to get the hard driven dig. The defender only has one job. If that person goes over cross, okay, don't worry about it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we'll we'll try this again in a couple of points and and see if this guy gets thirsty enough to hit. But right. When a, when a when a little dude gets real thirsty. 
and you show him something that like is theoretically wide open that he's seen on TV and Amazon Prime, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm going Thunderdome right now. <laughs> I got uh, this." <laughs> um, it's a very easy way to get somebody to tape hit into the net or hit you kind of a, a nice slow ball. One more defensively, no, just to kind of make sure that he doesn't do that easy over cross ball. If you just kind of sit in like that on the edge of the two left thirds and then shift over, right? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't run a four. Don't have that defender running anywhere, but sit right behind the blocker so that the defender can't really see you, but they do see the daylight that the blocker gave. Then shift into that and no, 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 that your only responsibility is that hard-driven dig, which is probably going into the tape anyway. Right. I think the thing that I wanted to point out to you is I love the idea of running the cross block there because most of the time what happens, especially if the attacker's right-handed, because if you're making them go short, they're most likely going to push this pass a little bit to the middle so that their setter can get it. And then one of the most common things we see for right side players who are right-handed, if they do get in a slump, is more than likely that setter is not finding their attacking shoulder. And if they're left inside, now that cross block is completely swallowing them up. And I, like you said, over-exaggerate, right? Get over there so that they know that the line is open because most likely they're going to be in a situation where their only option is cross. But then they're going to see that blocker and now they're trying to avoid that blocker. And if you're making them avoid you, then that's when errors come, especially out in the net on not even making it over the net, whatever it is. And like if, if we're going like this deep into into defensive strategy, I, I would move my blocker over and then I would peel him really late because mm-hmm. this guy, like if he does want to go for that over cross ball, I want my blocker to dig it instead of the defender because right. that guy's going to see all of that space on the other side of the court and he's going to hit a high, slow, lazy shot. And then my blocker's peeling into his cut or over cross ball. Um, right. and that, that play works on a regular basis. A lot. Um, you just need a, a very fast backpedaling blocker. Right. And they don't have to have to be tall. It's just a matter of the attacker just needs to feel their presence on the other side of the court so that they know what is open and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty big. Yeah. I like that. Here's something that people don't do enough when they serve the line to line straight down the line serve one flat fast float serve nailed it (laughs) you got it i love it (laughs) if you keep that if you keep that quick and on on a straight line first of all people are going to be moving outside so there's a good chance that they shank the ball outside the court when a player shanks the ball outside the court you're at an immediate advantage right or they're going to over exaggerate trying to get the ball back to the middle so they have to move one way while dragging the ball back in the opposite direction. And a lot of times they overshoot it and they pass it way past that middle line and then they have a backpedaling setter. And uh, really what happens a lot is the setter moves towards that serve. You know, the setters get attracted to where that serve is. Mm -hmm. So they start running way across the middle line thinking that that's where the play is going to happen. And then as the passer tries to pass to mid, it goes behind the setter's head and they have a backpedaling setter. Um, who's probably going to struggle to make that set. So I've seen this happen a couple of times, but people don't just lock it in, lock it in, lock it in, lock it in. Uh, Me and Marty Lorenz went to a one-star in Slovenia, and we were down, I think, 11-14, and there was just kind of this younger kid, Zach, from Australia, who is now 
Schubert's like a beast. He went through a couple of knee surgeries recently, but athletic beast. But he was young, so I was like, young guy, you're going to have to be the one that finishes this game. Like, mm-hmm. you're probably going to finish it, but I'm going to make you finish it. <laughs> and so I just went straight down the line, and I looked at him, and the whole stadium could have told you that that's who I was going to serve, right? So I'm hitting that line straight down the line. Everybody knows that I'm serving down the line and I'm just going to aim at this little two foot marker right inside that sideline. And the struggle with that serve, just a flat moving serve, especially with the Mikasa ball, which is going everywhere. That put so much pressure on him that he couldn't get a pass. His setter got off balance another time. He shanked the ball outside, just keeping it flat and fast enough. And right on his sideline, we were able to come back. We won 16-14. It was a great comeback. But putting it on somebody and saying, look, you guy, I know that you are going to have to be the one to finish this match. And a lot of people just can't handle that pressure, first of all, when you stare at them and you very obviously serve them. People don't like that. They like it. They get self-conscious. They're like, what? Why is he choosing me? Is he, does he think he's going to get a dig? You know, they start questioning themselves. Right. Um, and then when you make them struggle, like you were saying, making them take three steps just to get to just to touch the first ball, it's going to work. So if over time you guys can just learn to aim two feet from the sideline, straight down that sideline, and just hit that ball flat, 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 that is a very, very successful serve. And uh, in the 2008 Olympics, it was the most successful serve was the line-to-line, pick a sideline and serve down it because it leads to the most points and it gets a lot of people in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, to be honest, like I, I really like doing that same exact strategy in the seam too because especially if you have a lot of accuracy with your, flo- with your float serve, like I know with me specifically, I don't have enough power in my jump serve to really put a lot of pressure on servers. So like, for me, I'm not really worried too much about hitting this serve as hard as I possibly can. I'm more of an accuracy person, but I feel like I have a lot of accuracy. It's built up over years of practice. Um, and if I'm standing in the seam and I want that ball to land in the seam, I'm going to be within a foot of that. But I think that that's a really good option too, because now you got people having to communicate while that speed is happening too. You know, it's not it's not just because if you serve in the side the line to line, yes, you're putting that pressure on that person. But another way to do it is serving the seam, and now nobody really knows who's going to get it. You know, you still have that idea of like, oh, my middle. But that I, I love that because now if someone says my middle, I can step one step over where now it's no longer that person's middle. Mm-hmm. And now I can put some pressure on that guy who maybe thinks that they're not getting the ball anymore because it's not their middle, you know? So uh, I think that that idea can kind of work. And kind of one last thing, I know we got to kind of close up really quick, but I think one last strategy that we can kind of all think about is I think we all can be okay with missing a little bit more serves because we're trying to be meaningful with our serve, you know, and whether it's you trying to be aggressive, whether it's you trying to be very, very particular on trying to hit the serve deep or short or seam, whatever it is. um, Most of the time, if you're starting to be safe, then you're just putting that ball in play. And if they're able to pass that ball well, and now they're, you're, yes, you're getting the serve in and they're having to earn a point, but at some point you don't want that team to get into that kind of rhythm because they start to get confident. Now they start passing a bigger range every mm-hmm. single time that they're every single time that they're back there, every single time that they make a good pass, I'd say their range increases about maybe six inches to a foot. 
you confidence know? plays and a big so, difference. Yeah, it's huge. So anytime that you can be really aggressive, even if they have a good pass, but they're like, oh, whew, like that ball got on me quick. You know, <laughs> it's like that that little hesitation can do wonders. So if you miss a serve, like don't don't think it's the end of the world. You know, right. think about like, hey, I was trying something different. My bad. You know, I'll I'll, I'll try it again next time. Yeah. Some At some point, you got to start making serves. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, one kind of safe way to, to miss these serves is pick uh, statistically better spots. So if you're trying mm-hmm. to serve down the line, like I, I said, aim for that spot two feet inside the line. Because right. you're probably going to miss by two to three feet. What we want to pick is targets that even if I miss, it's a good serve. So if I pick my spot two feet inside the line and I miss two feet to the right, hey, I got an ace on the sideline. Mm-hmm. If I try to pick the sideline and I miss one inch to the right, it's out of bounds. The point's lost. I have no hope. Right. So when you guys are thinking about choosing those spots, pick a good, safe spot uh, that is, again, accurate and has a window of success. So when you're hitting your cut shots, when you're hitting your hard angles, your high lines, don't aim for the buckle. Don't aim for the sideline. Don't aim for two feet from the net. Always pick a spot that's three feet inside the court both ways. And then even your misses, your misses will be excellent shots and the rest of your balls will just be good shots. Right. Instead of your misses being lost points. I like that. Um, you know, one of my and and especially when when you're going back to serve one of my we have a, a, a serving course with our online program. And one of my favorite topics that I was able to make uh, was talking about accuracy versus power, you know, and no matter what server you are, you're it's never going to be 100 percent one or the other. You know, like uh, somebody that comes to mind is like Jeremy Casepeer, you know, phenomenal server. I think he's one best server on the AVP, like what, four or five times now? 27 times, bro. Maybe more. I don't know. Uh, But he's got a phenomenal jump serve. He is known to live and die by it, you know. But even Jeremy, like when he's probably at his most confident, he's probably only serving about 90% power and 10% accuracy or mm-hmm. uh, probably more accuracy than that because he's been doing it for so long, but maybe he's, he's okay with like missing a little bit larger than he normally would, you know? And then, but when he starts to miss a couple of serves, that ratio change or that, that percentage changes a little bit, you know, maybe he bumps it down to where now he's only going 60% power so that he can get that accuracy up to 40%. If we're always working with hundred percent, I don't, I don't know if that actually works. I'm not a math position. I think it's important to realize like what, what type of player are you? Are you an accuracy player? Are you a power player? And then finding the right uh, kind of ratio of accuracy to power to, to match your skill. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, guys, I, we just want to make a couple announcements again. April 3rd, we still have, I think, 11 spots in our training camp in St. Pete Beach, Florida, where we are right now. So St. Pete Beach, Florida, April 3rd to 10th. I think it's down to 10 because we have our boy Tim from last camp is using Spirit his, of the camp free, award. his free camp. So he's, uh, he's going to be coming back in April. Nice. Um, and so I think we're down to 10. So Awesome. Yeah. Uh, starting next week, starting January 3rd, our seven-day athletic foundations challenge. Guys, for me personally, I know that I have not treated the last two years like I should have. I uh, absolutely kind of fell down physically. I had an opportunity. I had a chance. I could have been absolutely jacked by now, right? But 
chose to build this company, chose to build some teaching systems. And I think a lot of you feel the same way where the last two years could have been better. You could have been in a better spot. And now we have this motivation. We get the sense that things might just be opening up and then we can finally tackle our goals. So if you're interested in tackling your goals, do it with us. We've got a big group starting. We got private Facebook coaching. So you're going to put your videos up there and we are going to critique you. We're going to help you with all your exercises. I'm going to give you warm-ups and all of your pre-workout uh, exercises that you should be doing for all of your workouts and all of your matches and all of your practices. So we're going to be doing that for seven days in a row starting this Monday. And you're going to get an eight-week nutrition challenge. You're going to get tournament and practice nutrition checklist, which tells you what to eat, how soon before a tournament, uh, the night before a tournament, two days before a tournament. What do you eat after a tournament? We have all of these printouts waiting for you. And you get three full, complete vertical jump workouts. Uh, all of this is happening next week, and it starts January 3rd. You have to sign up by January 2nd. It's www.betteratbeach.com forward slash foundations. Go and sign up so that we can start this year the right way. Get mobile, get strong, fix your imbalances so that you can be in a better spot, and you set, you set the foundation for everything that you need to be a better athlete, okay? I promise you that a lot of your pains, shoulder pain, knee pain, back pain, this one week you will feel different and you'll know why you feel different because I'll be teaching you and explaining every why every move is important for different volleyball. So betterbeach.com forward slash foundations that starts January 3rd. You need to sign up. Go ahead and then I'm going to work with you. We're going to meet live every day. If you're not there live, that's okay. You can just post all of your questions and videos on the Facebook group, and I personally will be answering them uh, and helping you work through your preseason. All right. Well, guys, that's it. And I am going to hang out with the chat group. So if you guys want to stay and ask some questions, I'll be running through those. Brandon's going to start getting our coaches here at St. Pete up and running so that our campers can have a good practice and um, I will be there shortly. All right, Q&A. Guys, if you are sticking around with us, we are going to open up this Q&A and I'm going to just go, go from the top and all the way down. Uh, Kila Casilla, you said, what kind of equipment is needed for the challenge? Great question. Right now, all that you're really going to invest in is going to be a band, okay? If you can get any type of TheraBand, some sort of stretch band or, or a mini stretch power band, we're just working with light bands because the majority of what we're going to be doing is body weight exercises and mobility. I'm going to teach you how to strengthen, how to increase your mobility just by doing body weight stuff. So a lot of people think that, that my personal warm-up should be the entire workout. Uh, that's how intense some of our warm-ups are, and that's what I'm going to be taking you through piece by piece. I'm going to grow your warm-up routine so that by the time you're done with your warm-up, you feel like you've done a full workout, and that is how you should start a match, start a tournament, start a practice. Okay, You need to be prepared to play that point from the first serve. Most people say, oh, it takes me a little while to get into a match, or they lose five points, and then they joke, and they say, like, okay, we're warm now. That is not the way to win in volleyball, and we're gonna help you just make your body feel better, feel better in your own body. And we're also gonna be doing a lot of goal setting and promises to ourselves. 
So I, I want you, I really want you guys to try it out, see what it's like to be a part of a team, to be a part of a group that is motivated and will hold you accountable. Okay. Uh, betterbeach.com forward slash foundations. Uh, Peter says, hello from Poland. Hi, Peter. I got Polish in my background. Did you know that? My uh, father's name was Berczyk, uh, which is a Polish name. So used to be Polish. Maybe I could go play for the Polish national team. And he, uh, if Kentor and Lozjak want a new partner, I'm there. Joshua Samsonder, an open player. Uh, he says, what's an open player? An open player is essentially the highest level player. So open player is that spot just below professional. So there's professional, which means that you're like really making money. Open level is just that that ranking right behind there where you can win money at tournaments. Typically tournaments in the US, they give money uh, as prize money for only the top level. Everything below that, you get like little prizes like uh, chairs and umbrellas and stuff like that. But an open level should be the highest amateur level in the United States. All right. Um, Question from SM, what's the best way to serve near or close to the net? I want you to go back and talk. Uh, so SM, we just filmed this episode uh, last uh, on Monday, and it's the different types of float serve. So look at our YouTube channel and scroll down those live episodes. And we talked about the different types of float serves. And I gave that answer all through that episode. Uh, we talked about the four different types of float serves. So go ahead and look at that episode. And if anybody here is on the YouTube chat and you already have that link, if you could post it for SM, that would be great. Pam, thank you. I appreciate uh, the support and uh, I can't wait to see. Um, all of your who's who in volleyball grow and and see what it can do and uh, be a fan of your travels. Brad Wise, what's up, man? Huge fan of serving tough uh, on every serve. Dot lines, middle, short, sky balls. Absolutely. Serve tough. And serve tough, guys, serve tough does not always mean serve aggressive or faster or harder. Serve tough means make it tough on the other team not just hit harder. You guys have to make sure that you have that difference in your mind. Uh, Gwenole says, should I switch from jump serve, jump float serve, standing float serve during a game or a set? I know as a receiver starts shanking when a serve type change, but changing serve can result on more serves. Yeah, you have to find your balance. So when you're trying to decide which type of serve you should use or if you should be changing, Obviously, you don't want this this passer to get into a good rhythm. That's why we mix up spots. Even if one spot's working for a long time, like next time we serve them, we might want to throw in what Stafford Slick and Casey Patterson called a wrinkle, right? Just one little change to get them slightly off balance. That's going to be a big deal. Um, if you are changing serves, but you don't have a reason, that's a big problem. You need to have a reason. You need to... It has to go in line with your strategy. And if it's not in line with your strategy, that's a big issue, okay? It means that you're just picking up the ball and making something up in that moment. And that is not a game plan. Every other sport has a game plan. You need to have a game plan, plan for the game, not just pick it up and say, oh, nothing's been working, I'm gonna try this. That's not a plan and that's not intelligent volleyball. So make sure that like, if you are saying, we're going to pick on him because he's a bad float reserve float serve receiver. Okay, I'm going to throw in one jump serve 
every 10 balls just to kind of keep him off balance or I'll serve his partner once every 10 balls just so that he doesn't get into a complete rhythm. But you should change and it should be a part of the bigger picture. Okay, so I hope that helps, Gwendolyn. Pam says communication is a successful life skill attributed to success in volleyball for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Mike Zadalo, in line, move around or use one spot. Uh, Mike, that depends on it. Do you want this? So should we serve somebody in the middle, the corners of the in line or straight over their head? Where do we want them to hit from? You have to take a look at this person's biomechanics, what they look like when they hit, what their favorite shots are and then serve them in the location that makes it difficult for them to hit their shot. Or if you want to bait them into hitting their favorite shot, then you allow your serve to allow them to hit that. If you want somebody to hit a great cut shot from the other side because you're planning on bait and switching them or something, right? then you're going to serve them deep to that spot and you're going to bait them into it. Okay, So end line, you can get the ball there. Just make sure that it goes over their fence so that they have to step back or tomahawk. If they tomahawk and serve receive, you've already won the first battle. Um, and then choosing where to serve is going to be dependent on your game strategy. Uh, the high deep middle serve is great for uncomfortable setters because they get frozen and then they have to run for a far distance. It creates a longer pass setter struggle. Okay. Thank you, Pam, for being so involved in the conversation. Appreciate it. Do you have any clinics in DC area? Guys, if you're ever interested in a clinic with us, here's what you have to do. You have to go to betterbeach.com forward slash clinics. Get us in touch with a facility manager, owner, a community head, something, and we can set up a one-day clinic. We usually do Saturdays. We do three two-and-a-half-hour sessions, and we need a minimum of 12 commitments for the full day. Okay, 12 commitments for the full day, which is all three sessions or something kind of equal to that. All of that information is on betterbeach.com forward slash clinics, and you can sign up so that we can email you, get in touch, and we'll have a phone conversation and see if we can bring some coaches there. All right. Uh, David, you bought that seven-day course. When do you get access to it? January 3rd? Yes. So, David, uh, you should have already joined the private Facebook group for the Foundations course, and I will continue to send emails. You're going to get a few more emails in the next few days, and we are going to start our meeting on Monday. I'm going to tell you when the live meeting is. If you miss it, that's okay. If the schedule doesn't work, that's okay, because I'm going to post that live into the Facebook group, and you can always catch up with the meeting whenever you have time during that day, and then that's when you're going to get your workout for that day. Okay, David? Um, and if you have any questions after this, just DM me uh, or shoot me an email. I'm happy to answer. Michael says, I typically jump serve. Should I serve from the corners or the center? If from the corner, which corner? That depends on your body mechanics. If you like this wrist away swing, you want to serve more from the left. If you are more of a cross body swinger, probably you want to serve a little more from the right. It also depends on where the wind is, right? If you want to jump serve, you usually want to serve into the wind. Sometimes the wind's coming from the side, so you have to hit from that side in order to make that ball dive. So uh, you need to, again, where you serve from needs to fall in line with your bigger strategy of where you want that team to hit from and who you want to serve. Generally, the diagonal, straight diagonal serve that lands in the diagonal passer's lap, it's the easiest ball to return, so I advise against it, okay? Um, just make sure that you don't just serve a kind of meat 
slow, generic cross topspin ball into somebody's lap because all they have to do is reflect it back to right where it came from and it's going to be a perfect pass. They don't have to make any angles. It's not a challenging serve. All right. Uh, Mark says, I keep telling my players serving wins games and also trying to get them to learn a solid float serve first. Any pointers about jump serving? They love to try that. Mark, this, this the jump serve um specifics and details and how to teach it and what we teach for jump serving and all of the different versions of jump serves this is where our serving course comes into play so if you want to sign up and get access to that serving course and become a member so that we can help you out and help you coach we have a few a few members that are coaches in our group and they don't use these drills for themselves they use them so that they can teach their players better i want you to go to better forward slash coaching and within that giant program we have a passing course a setting course an arm swing specific course an approach and attack course we have a defender course a serving course we all i, I know there's a lot. We have a blocking and peeling course. We have 50 plus practice plans. Um, and the, of course, the 60 day max vertical. So all of that is included in our coaching program. Okay. And if you join that program, we will be there to help you every step in the way because we have two live meetings where we're going to be face to face videoing each other every week. So that's a betterbeach.com forward slash coaching. I want you to look into it. See if you like it. And Mark, if you have any questions, just shoot me a message. Okay. All right, guys. That is it thank you so much for your questions thank you so much for your time we got to get to our campers if you want to join a camp better at beach.com forward slash camps uh and as always just make sure that you are sending me messages let me know if you need help shoot us an email uh i would love to keep making this show better and better and design it the way you guys want it we want to teach volleyball and we want to teach high level volleyball and we think there's a little bit lacking of information out there so we're trying to pump it out there to see the next evolution of the game and to provide awesome fun opportunities for players everywhere and that's usually where our camps and clinics come in all right that's all from me have a great day and uh and happy new year everybody i appreciate your time and we will see you i believe next monday january 3rd and for anyone joining the foundations course i will see you a lot next week we're going to be seeing a lot of each other so looking forward to it bye guys have a great day